to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Now, a lot of people are traveling. Keep them in prayer. Uh, we have at least four or five families that are out and so do keep them in prayer. But this Christmas season, I'm expectant of great things. Amen? And I pray that as a result of this series, your heart will also be expectant. Perhaps you are like Evelyn, praying to God for a miracle. I want you to know, friends, that our God is still a miracle-working God. Our God still does wondrous things, that He wants to answer your prayers, that the deepest desires of your heart can come to pass. Christmas itself is a miracle. Amen? I mean, if you look at all the prophetic, all the pro- all the prophecies, all the prophetic promises around Jesus Christ, for them to fulfill is one to infinite. But nonetheless, in this baby, all the messianic promises were fulfilled. I mean, miracles do happen, and so I want you to be expectant this morning. Now, let's talk about hope. I read this story of uh, two men, both seriously ill. This is not a joke. <laughs> In the same room of a hospital, had only one window. One of, one of the men, as part of the treatment of draining the fluid from his lungs, was allowed to sit up in bed for an hour in the afternoon. His bed was next to, to the window, but the other man had to spend all his time flat on his back. Now, both men were critically ill. Every afternoon, when the man next to the window was propped up for his hour, he would pass the time by describing what he could see outside. The window apparently overlooked the park where there was a lake. There were ducks and swans in the lake, and children came to throw them bread. Young lovers walked hand in hand beneath the trees, and there were flowers and stretches of grass and games of softball were being played. And at the back, behind the fringe of trees, was a fine view of the city skyline. The man on his back would listen to the other man describe all of this, enjoying every minute. His friend's descriptions eventually made him feel he could almost see what was happening outside. One day, a thought struck him. Why should he have all the pleasure of seeing what was going on? Why shouldn't he get the chance as well? Now, he felt really ashamed, but the more he tried not to think like that, the more he wanted a change. He would do anything for that. One night, as he stared at the ceiling, the other man woke up coughing and choking, his hand groping for the button that, was, that would send the nurse running. But the man just watched without moving, even when the sound of breathing stopped. In the morning, the nurse found the other man dead and quietly took his body away. As soon as it seemed decent, the man asked if he could be switched to the bed next to the window. So they moved him tuck him in and made him quite comfortable. The minute the nurses left, he propped himself up on one elbow, painfully and laboriously, and looked out the window. It faced a blank wall. Although the man was seriously ill and had only a blank wall to stare at, he still envisioned beautiful things. My friends, that's hope. 
That's hope. Two men, one window, one saw a park, one saw life, the other saw a blank cold window. The Bible tells us in the New Living Translation in Romans chapter 8, verse 24, we were given this hope when we were saved. All the Christians here, we have hope. The moment we receive Jesus Christ into our lives, we were given this hope. Another translation said, we are saved, but all we have to show for it at present is hope. See, my friends, living as a Christian is a life of hope. Hope is to our spirits what oxygen is to our lungs. When your spirit dies, hope dies. Or should I say, when hope dies, your spirit dies. See, hope keeps us alive. A human can last for 40 days without food. A few days without water. Eight minutes without oxygen but only a few seconds without hope. I read a very interesting research that was done recently by a group of researchers perform an experiment to see the effect of hope uh, has on those undergoing hardship. Two sets of laboratory rats were placed in separate tubs of water. The researchers left one set in the water and found that within an hour, they had all drowned. The, the rats were all drowned. The other rats were periodically lifted out of the water and then returned back to the water. When that happened, the second set of rats swam for over 24 hours. Why? Listen, not because they were given a, a rest, but because they suddenly had hope. You see, friends, those animals somehow hoped that if they would, could just stay afloat just a little bit longer, someone would reach down and rescue them. See, friends, if... if don't, if, if hope holds such powerful and thinking rodents, how much greater, how much more would hope should have an, an effect in our lives? How much more? It's very interesting that, that a well-known Jewish philosopher will ask this question. How did the Jewish people survive through all the exile and persecution during World War II? And this was his answer. The Jewish people have survived by the power of hope. That's what kept them alive. Hope kept them alive. And if hope kept a, a set of rats alive simply because they were expecting someone to come and rescue them, how much more to all of us who are Christians, whom the Bible says have been given this hope? So this Christmas, we're celebrating hope. Amen? Amen. So what exactly is hope? The Bible says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but the longing fulfilled is a tree of life. So what exactly is hope? See, most people, even Christians, understand hope as wishful thinking. Wishful thinking. I hope something will happen. I hope I'll get this job because I need this job. Oh, I hope that my child will get into RI because that's a good school for my child. Oh, I hope that my condition will, be, will become better and that I won't get worse. I'm just hoping, I'm just hoping, I hope that I'll do well in life. I, I, I hope I'll marry a beautiful girl. I hope that my boyfriend will look as, uh, as handsome as who knows, uh, no, I got no idea who's the, who's the popular actor nowadays, but as handsome as as, uh, as Timothy Chow, as handsome as uh, Andre Tan, who's not here this morning, so I can tease him. But we're always hoping. I've heard many people utter similar sentiments. I hope this, I hope that, but their hope has got no grounds. Amen? No grounds. The expressions of hope are often laced with discouragement and concern that the very opposite would happen. 
They are just hoping for the best because they were afraid, they were concerned that they will receive what's bad, what's worse. Friends, this is not what the Bible means by hope. Bible hope is strong, is joyful, and is confident expectation of good happening to us. Bible hope is based on the unchanging Word of God, character of God, and the ability of God. Amen. Not on the good fortune or the good luck of man as we know it to be. Which is why Romans chapter 5 verse 5, Paul can say these words that hope will not and hope does not disappoint. See, human hope, wishful thinking disappoints us a lot of times. But Bible hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the Bible says the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Why does hope, Bible hope not disappoint us? Because God's love has been poured into our lives. My friends, the Bible says that God demonstrated His love towards us while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In fact, Romans chapter 8, verse 32 says, If He spared not His Son, how will He not with Him also freely, say freely, give us all things? And that's the basis of our hope. Our hope is anchored on the love of God. Amen. God is love and we can hope in God because God loves us. Which is why hope in Greek is not, is not wishful thinking. If you go into to Greek uh, and if you study what hope means in Greek, it means I'm absolutely certain. I've got no shadow of doubt. I know that I know, friends, and I can know so rather than, than just hope so that good things will happen to us because we know that God demonstrated His love for us by sending us Jesus. Friends, God can send us an angel. He can send us promises and He can give us salvation through different means, but He knows that the perfect sacrifice is not an angel, it's not a lamb, it's the Son of God. And that's why we can have hope, friends. We can have hope because, number one, Titus chapter 1 verse 2 says, God promised it. Let's read this verse. In, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And this is the basis for our hope. We can hope because God promised it. But more than that, see, hope is not just a promise. Hope is a person. Say person. Because First Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 says, we can have hope because Jesus is our hope. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our Savior, and Christ Jesus, our hope. It isn't just a promise, my friends. Hope it's a person. Jesus is our hope. And to those of us who are believers, this hope changes everything. This hope changes how we see ourselves. We're no longer just anyone. We, we are hopeful beings that we know that this world is just in passing, that all of us one day can be in a better place. That's our hope. Amen. That's our hope. That we see ourselves differently. And what we value changes. And that's why hope is so powerful. And that's the reason why this Christmas season we want to talk about hope. And so before we dive into this series, let me explain to us what hope is. Amen. What is hope? Hope is confident expectation. Hope is 
a subject that we don't talk a lot about in church. Really? Now, we talk about it, but very few teachings. I was trying to do some research. I, I, I was trying to do some study. There are very few messages on hope. We've got thousands of messages on love. Love, love, love. Thousands on faith. But yet the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, that now abideth three things, faith, hope, and love. The greatest is love. Now, we know a lot about love. We know a lot about faith. But there are very few teachings on hope. But yet the Bible tells us that hope lasts forever. So what exactly is hope? What, what, what exactly is hope in relation to faith? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter, one, uh, chapter 11 verse 1, Now substance, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I, I want to say this to you, friends, that hope is a partner to faith. Unless we understand what hope is, faith is powerless. Hope and faith walk together. They are partners. Say partners. See, faith is the substance of things. What things? The things we hope for. I'll say it this way. Hope gives shape to what our faith can fill. Am I making sense? It's a little bit like this bottle of water. The container is hope. The water is faith. And unless we've got hope, Faith has got nothing to fail. There is, faith is the substance of what our hope contains. Hope really is the breeding ground for what faith can produce. Hope is the breeding ground for the miracle and for the breakthrough that you are seeking God for. That's what hope, hope is. Hope gives ground. Hope gives the basis. Hope, hope gives shape to your life. So my question to you this morning, church and friends, is what is the size of your hope? What is the size of your hope? What are you hoping for? Knowing what hope is, knowing that hope is grounded on the love of God, knowing that hope is anchored on God's love towards us. What are you hoping for for your life? What are you expecting God to do for you this Christmas? Not just this Christmas, but in your life. What are you hoping God, what are you hoping for God to do in your life? See, I, I'm troubled whenever I hear conversations, especially with my kids, that all they want to get by in school is a pass. That troubles me because that's all they hope for. I want to pass my my. My examination. Is that all you are hoping for? Is that all you are expecting a pass? Because that's, that's what you will get. And I used to tell them that, and they'll say I'm boasting, but I used to tell them that when I was, in P, when I was taking my PSLE, I was hoping I'll get to RI. Now, hope is free, but I was hoping that I'll get into a top school and I got into Anglican High School. God has got a plan for my life. That's why I came to, to know Christ. That's why I met my wife. Yes, yes, yes. We dated really young, but that was when I met my wife. <laughs> but I, but I, was, I wasn't just hoping for a pass. The size of my hope was much bigger when I was pastoring my youth ministry. I wasn't just hoping to get by, to just be another youth pastor taking care of young kids. Hopefully, they will not go astray. We are just parenting, babysitting young people. That wasn't my expectation. That wasn't my hope. I was hoping for great things. I was hoping that these young people would grow up not just loving God, but make a difference in their lives. And after 15 years, last Sunday you saw one of them preaching here. He was 16 years old when, I, when he first came into our youth group and 
my hope has bore fruit. Incredible communicator. I, I can't see that 16 year, when he was 16 years old, but my hope has produced. Likewise with Andre, likewise with Jason, likewise with Constance, likewise with many of the young people that I had the privilege of walking with them. That's my hope. So when we planted this church, I said to a group of pioneers, now, it's a different ball game altogether, planting a church and leading a, a youth group. When I, when I led the youth group, there, was no, there weren't challenges around finances, around board matters, around, you know, I said to myself recently that there's a lot more complicated pioneering and pastoring a church than a youth group. It's easy. Even though some of you may, may think that, uh, 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 that teenagers are hard to understand, I find them easier to understand than a lot of the older people, really. I was like, thinking to myself, wow, it's so complicated. But friends, when we pioneer this church, I said to my uh, group of pioneers that if all we want to be is to be another church, then let's fold up and let's find out, let's find churches we cannot be a part of. But when we planted this church, God puts in me a, a God-sized hope that this church can make a difference, not just in Singapore, but in the world. Don't Terry wait for, wait for it. That's what wakes me up every day. That's what makes me prepare my messages every Sunday so that all of us can see where we are going and we can all share in this hope. Hope is a partner to faith. I want to say this, friends, that whenever we gather, if we are not hoping for God to move, can I say this? God cannot move. Now, you might think, Daniel, that's almost heresy. Are you saying that God is limited by our expectation of Him? Yes. He chooses not to. Because he chooses to be bound by his, by his word. That if we gather like that every Sunday, and if there's no expectation of a move of God, then we, there will be no move of God. Amen. But if all of us come together and collectively our hope gives God the basis, and then we have faith in a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly far above all we can ever ask or imagine or hope for, God will move. So the kind of church we want to build in this Christmas season is not dependent, it's not dependent on God, but on us. When we come together, let's expect great things from God. Amen. So that in that expectation, we can, we can attempt great things for God. That's exactly what William Carey said when he went to India. And he was one of the earlier missionaries to India. And this was his quote. He says, expect great things from God. His hope when he goes to India wasn't just to become a missionary, convert a few people. He gave India a few Languages. He actually translated the Bible into, into different languages. He he researched the flowers of India, and he was and he was incredible. And that was his hope. That was his expectation. So, friends, I have great faith that God can do amazing things in your life and through this church. But unless all of us can put our hope together and expect great things from God, we will be an ordinary church. Is that what you want, to, want this church to be? No. 
I believe that's not the reason why some of you wake up early in the morning to serve uh, in the music team or prepare breakfast. All of us are expecting great things. And so as we talk about hope, understand that hope is a partner to faith. We can have great faith, but hope gives faith the shape to fail. Amen. So let's expect great things this Christmas season. Worship team, expect God to move every Sunday. The rest of us, when we come together, let's expect God to do amazing things in our midst. Let's expect every seat to be filled. Let's expect this church to go into two services, three services. Let's expect more preachers, more teachers. Let's not be concerned about, oh, I've got to serve three times on the band, or I've got to prepare more food, or I've got to come earlier, stay back later. If that's your expectation, friends, this church will just be ordinary. But if we are hoping that through our sacrifice, through our labor of love, that this church can be all God wants us to be, He can do great things through us. He can do amazing things through us. And that's my expectation. That's my hope. It's a partner to faith. You see, friends, hope is a goal setter. The reason why we give altar calls is for people to respond to God's Word. You know, on Sundays when they come forward, their goal is when they walk to the front that God will touch them. Why we pray for the sick is because the goal is for God to heal the sick. And so hope is a goal setter. Hope is knowing what you want. Well, faith is the power to get it. Let me repeat that. Hope is knowing what you want. Well, faith is the power to get it. See, hope sets the goal and the goal gives a direction. If you don't set any goals or if you don't know where you are going, then how will you know when you get there? How long will it take for you to get there? We've got no idea, but hope is the goal. We give an altar call for healing because that's our goal. We want people to be healed. That's the direction that we are going for. We, we plan for events uh, like Christmas for us to invite friends. But why is it so they can sing a few carols and listen to, to some Christmas songs? No, it's our hope is for them to come to know Jesus Christ. That's our goal. Hope is a goal setter. But more than that, hope is a rope that pulls us into the future. See, while faith is now, hope sees a preferred future. Hope sees where we can be. Hope sees what we can do as a church. Hope sees what you can become. Amen. Hope sees what you can become. Hope was the reason why our grandparents left their homeland to come to Singapore in search of a better life. Hope was the reason that drove our founding fathers to fight for the freedom of our nation, to labor hard to give us a Singapore. Hope is the same reason why the next generation of government leaders, business leaders in Singapore is striving to build a better Singapore. And hope is the reason why we're doing church, so that more people in Singapore can come to know Him, so that the kingdom of God can infiltrate every sphere of society. That's, that's the reason why we're doing church. See, hope is the rope that pulls us into the future. If we've got no hope, then we're just merely existing. Hope deferred makes the heart sink. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. What are you hoping for this Christmas? What do you hope that this church can be? 
one year from now. With that as a foundation, let's talk about how do we cultivate a hopeful attitude and walk in the power of hope. How do we cultivate a hopeful attitude and walk in the power of hope? Now, it's my prayer, friends, that all, all of us will have a hopeful attitude that tomorrow will be better than today. That one year from now, the church will be more glorious than today. That the presence of God will be stronger next Sunday than today. Amen. That there will be more volunteers availing their time, their talent, their treasure next year than this year. That people will be more involved in ministry next year than this year. That Andre will be a better preacher next year than this year. That Amy will become a more effective Sunday school gush teacher next year than this year. That Felicia will sing like an angel next year. Of course, it's almost like an angel this year, but then this year. That your business will be more prosperous next year than this year, so you can become a conduit of the blessings of God. That's what hope is. So how do we cultivate that hopeful attitude? Say how. I'm so glad you asked. Number one. Number one, we have got to acknowledge by acknowledging that God, not man, is the source of all real hope. That God, not man, is the source of all real hope. Let's read Romans chapter 15 and verse 13 together, please. Romans 15 verse 13. Now may the God of hope, not God of wishes, God of my dreams. No, it's God of hope. God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, God is called the God of hope. This means He is the source of all real hope. Do you know why some people are full of peace and joy? Do you know why some people are radiating with the glow uh, of health and there's vitality in their life? Do you know why? Do you think that it's because they have got no problems? Do you think that life to these people who are always seem hopeful is because that there are no challenges? Far from it. In fact, I believe the opposite might be true, that they may have more problems than most of us. The secret then is that they have learned to trust in the God of hope. It's so easy for us to be discouraged. It's so easy for us to be disappointed. It's so easy for us to be, dis- to be in de- a depression. I tell you, it's so easy. It's easy for us to receive an SMS and know, for ex- as, a, as a pastor, for example, to know the offering collector, to know the number of people in church, and instantly I'll say, wow, God, that's terrible. And it's so easy for you to receive a report from a doctor and spoil your whole vacation. It's so easy for you to receive back your results and be in despondent and be concerned. It's so easy. But how do we then cultivate this mindset of hope? We have got to know that the source of hope is not in what the doctor says, not in what the report says, but it's in God because He is the God of hope. See, hopelessness is the curse of trusting in men, but hoping in God gives us strength and courage. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5 and 6. I love this verse for what it's trying to tell us. It says, 
in verse 5, the Lord says in the Living Bible, Cursed is the man who puts his trust in mortal men and turns his heart away from God. He's like a stunted shrub in the desert. It's all dry. There's no life with no hope for the future. He lives on the, on the salt and crusted plains in the barren wilderness. Good times pass him by forever. That's a very depressing verse. But I love this verse because it tells me what to avoid in life. This verse says, avoid putting your trust in men. If you want your life to be cursed with hopelessness, then put your trust in men. But the opposite is true. That if I hope in God, everything changes. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 30 to 31, even youths grow tired and weary. Come on, young people, do you sometimes grow tired and weary? Yes, even youth and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, regardless of your age, you can be 15, 50, or 95. Amen. That those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. See, even young people, if you put your confidence in men, you will grow weary. If you put your trust in yourself, you will fall. But the Bible says those who hope in God will soar like eagles. See friends, it's very easy. Perhaps you have been burned in business because of a wrong partnership. You trusted that guy. You thought it's impossible. He, he's such an angel. No way will he let me down. I never expected that of, of her or of, 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 of him. I thought that this guy is perfect, that he's the most amazing thing that's ever happened to me. But perhaps you were betrayed by your loved ones, by a spouse, by a boyfriend, by a girlfriend. Perhaps you felt victimized by your parents' divorce. Or perhaps you heard the doctor's report. See, when you trusted in men, you will be hopeless. Hopelessness sets in when we look to a person and we say, I trusted that guy. See, friends, I believe in people, but my trust and my confidence is always in God. I learned as a, as a young believer, when I looked at my leaders in church, I thought they were saints. I thought that they were perfect people until I discovered that they were, as wonderful as they are, people with clay feet. If you put your trust in the pastor, you'll be disappointed. You will stumble and fall if you put your trust in, in a man. No matter how charismatic he is, you will be discouraged by wrong decisions that this guy made. You will. But when your trust is in God, if you're 13 years old this year, and if you are listening to me preach this word, I'll set you up for the rest of your life if you just take heart to this verse. Hope in God, not hope in man, not, 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 not hope in your, your, your job, your career, Hope in God. And you will soar like eagles. Do you know why people backslide? Do you know why some Christians leave their faith? Yes, it was never because God's word is not, not good. It was never because God has let them down. It's always over people, real, right? It's like, why? God, do you allow that person to hurt me? If I'm God, I'll say, no, I didn't allow. You allow it. You trusted that guy. Hello? God, why did this happen to me? Lack of wisdom. 
You could have listened to your leaders or perhaps to some godly counsel, but you didn't. You thought, that's not, that's impossible. That, that, that guy is next to the best thing that's ever happened to me. Those who hope in God will renew their strength. I think there's one more verse. Psalm 31 verse 24. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. This morning, I think that verse is for some of us. If you're hoping in God, if you're feeling that strength is leaving you, be strong, let your heart take courage. If you're hoping in God. So how do we cultivate a hopeful mindset, a hopeful attitude, hope in God? Make God the source of your hope, whether it's in your business, whether it's in your family life, whether it's in your career, whether it's in your marriage. Make God the source of your hope. Not men. Not men. Number two. By staying filled with the Holy Spirit or with the Spirit of God. In the same verse, can we go back to Romans chapter 15 again, please? And verse 13. May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is not by might, it's not by power, but it's by the Spirit of the living God. It's not by your own strength. You can't conjure hope. It's when you... Stay filled with the Spirit of God. See, Paul introduces an incredible idea here. He says that you may abound in hope. The word abound means enough to spare, overflowing, excessive, beyond measure. I love that word. Say abound. Come on, say abound excessively. Say abound. Abound. Excessive. Enough to spare overflowing beyond measure. This is my kind of word. Abound. God wants our hope to abound. He wants our hope to overflow. He wants us to have, to have enough to spare. He wants a supply that's overflowing. He wants our hope to be excessive. See, friends, you cannot be overly excessive with hope. You, you know, it's, it's a win when someone comes to you and says, wow, you're so hopeful. Say, praise God. I'm walking in this reality. Abound in hope. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 11 verse 13 says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? We are to freely receive and freely give. And the Bible tells us in the same verse that joy and peace are the tributaries along the river of hope. You just picture this. The river of hope flows out and what comes out from the river of hope, joy and peace. Just, don't you love it when people who are hopeful uh, you know, come, into your, to your, come to your party? There's always fun. There's always joy. There's always peace. I love it. When you're around hopeful people, it's exciting. It's like, wow, this guy is just full of vitality and life. Why? Because he's so full of the Holy Spirit of hope. I want that. I want my life to speak for that. That regardless of how life may throw a curveball at me, I want to always stay hopeful by staying full of the Holy Spirit. See, if you, if you know me, I've got, an, I've got an excessive, compulsive behavior when it comes to phone. 
And it's not that I'm always look, looking at my phone, though my kids will, will say that that's true. It's not true. <laughs> but if you ask my wife, I always like to charge my phone. When I looked at the power bar and it, and it, it says 89%, I'll ask for the charger. Is there anyone like me in this room? Come on, I know, I know some people, yeah. I don't like it when it's less than 100%. I hate it. I can't understand people who allow your power to drain to 1%. I find that, I, you know, I find that wrong. Now, you may say, but Daniel, if you, if you keep charging the battery life, you know, will go flat faster. And I'll say, friends, then I'll change the phone every year. But I want the battery to be 100%. Do you know why? It means that this device is powered up. It's the same in my spiritual life. I will never allow my power bank to be 99%. Because I know that in the Bible, the word full doesn't mean 98%, 95%, it means 110%. It means that you are overflowing. That's how the, he break my understand fullness. And I said to myself, I must be full so that my river of hope can distribute joy and peace to everyone I come into contact with. And I know, friends, that I'm leaking when I interact with people and they walk away depressed, they walk away sad, they walk away hope. Less, I, I know that I'm leaking. But if you come into my presence after fellowshipping with me a little bit and you leave empowered, hopeful, joyful, I know that this river of hope is doing its work. Amen. By staying full in the Holy Spirit. Friends, that's how we cultivate a hopeful Attitude. How do you do it? Now, I've got no time to go into it, but if you are not baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you don't speak in tongues, I want to strongly encourage you. Speak in tongues. You can speak in tongues in the bathroom when you feel like you are leaking. I don't, and please don't misunderstand that. Shakarava. All right. But we know that your spirit, <laughs> you're just praying in the Holy Ghost. Shakarava Handai. And in your cars, you are driving, taking the MRT station, and you are full, you are filled up. And that's why young people, whatever you put in your ears are very powerful. If you're always listening to songs that cause you to leak faster, can I just encourage you, take those earpieces off, put on some anointed music. If you can't find them, just record the service on Sunday. You know, and when Christine sings, Christine, Christine sings, when Therese sings, record them and play in your iPod or in your iPhone or in your Samsung. All right. Be in an environment where you're constantly receiving freely so you can freely give. Am I still making sense? See, God wants us to have more than enough so we can share hope with others who may need it. Who may need it. If we're ever going to make a difference in the world, filled with pain, disappointment, we must become people of hope, overflowing with hope. Stay filled. Number three, by training our minds to think the thoughts of God. How do we cultivate a hopeful attitude? Train. Say train. Training means that it takes 
co-laboring together with the Lord. Means that you've got to be conscious, train our minds to think the thoughts of God. First Thessalonians chapter five verse eight. First Thessalonians chapter five verse eight says, "Hope is our helmet." I wanted to bring a helmet here. It's part of your FBO, right? Come on, Sean. Can you go to war without a helmet on? Your officer will say what? Go back to your room. <laughs> I mean, knock it down, soldier. I mean, you need this part of your full battle order. You can have everything, your SBO, your rifle, but without your helmet, you are vulnerable. You are... <laughs> A shell may drop on the head and you die, all right? Not, not from uh, the fire of, of a rifle, but, you know, from, I'm, I, I, I don't know. Put on the helmet of hope. See, friends, we've got our minds. You can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from building a nest, right? It's very easy for, for, for negative thoughts to come into your mind. Very easy. When you read a report, when you listen to some stories, when you look at the internet, all the fears, all the reservations, the, the, the concerns start bombarding you. But train our mind to think the thoughts of God. There's a very, a very interesting verse in Isaiah 59 verse 5. It's not on the screen, but Isaiah 59 verse 5 talks about serpent laying eggs. Serpent laying eggs. See, the serpent, the devil is constantly laying eggs, but we can't allow these eggs to hatch in our head. Hello? I listened to this sermon when I was growing up by Jensen Franklin called Snake Eggs in Your Head. I was 20 years old. And, his, and he wasn't well known back in those days, no Hillsong conference, but I came across a 3 p.m. slot. He was speaking in, in, in a conference in the U.S., and I heard this message, snake eggs in your hair. And he says, don't allow snakes to lay eggs that hatch in your head. He says, guard your mind. And I say, yes, Jensen, yes, sir. Whenever the serpent lays eggs, make sure that you crush them or you dispose them, but don't allow these eggs to hatch. What do you mean, Daniel? It means that we have to gut our thought life. You can choose your thoughts. Do you know that? You can snap yourself out from a depression. Some of you might say, but Daniel is either said than done. No, I really believe that you can choose your thoughts. It takes training. If you have not used your muscle for a long time, you have to go through rehab. It's the same. It's the same. You might say, that is impossible. It's very hard. Start doing it. Take baby steps. Choose your thoughts and feelings. You can choose. Is there a verse? Yes! Is it biblical? Of course. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 8 says, Be anxious for nothing. You can choose whether to be anxious or not to be anxious. That's what the Bible says. Your feelings, you, you can choose. Don't be anxious. What do you mean, Paul? I'm feeling anxious. Choose not to be. Choose not to be. I'm feeling upset. Choose not to be. Be anxious for nothing but, say but. In everything, so the antidote for anxiety is in everything, pray, supplicate, and give thanks. And let your requests be made known to God. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. It doesn't make sense, Daniel. In this situation, I should be concerned. I should be, you know, I should be scared. I should be fearful. I should be anxious. But for some reason, I'm walking in this bubble of peace. I'm not, not afraid. The market is crashing. I'm not, not, not afraid. I may lose my job next week. I'm not afraid. For some reason, I'm so fearful that I'm no longer fearful. I'm so anxious, I'm no longer anxious. That's a good place to be in. Because in that space, you know that the, that the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, is now guarding your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. You can choose your feelings, your thoughts. And the, the next verse is really good. Finally, brethren, whatever things that are true, Whatever things that are noble, whatever things that are just, number three, things that are pure, four, things that are lovely, five, things of good, report, six, any virtue, seven, if there's anything praiseworthy, eight, think or meditate on these things. You can choose your thoughts. When the serpent lays an egg in your head, have a checklist. Is that thought pure? If it's not, okay, it's a snake egg. Crush it. Is the thought lovely? No. Serpent egg. Throw it. Crush it. Is that thought a good report? No. Crush it. You can choose. Easier said than done, but it's biblical. Number four, which is tied to number three, by aligning our words then to the promises of God. Put on the helmet of hope and align our conversations around God's word. Romans chapter 15 verse 4. It's, I love this verse. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. That through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might find hope. Through perseverance and encouragement of the Word of God, we might have hope. See, God's Word is a hopeful word. It's hopeful that through the Scriptures, we might find hope. In fact, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, in the International Standard Bible version, it says this set of instructions is not to cease, underline that, is not to cease being a part of your conversations. This is a direct command from Scripture. This set of instructions, the Word of God, the Scriptures, is not to cease being part of your conversations, but meditate. Now, the Hebrew idea of meditation is not um and you think nothing. All right? That's not biblical understanding. Meditation in Bible times means to regurgitate, means to repeat, talk to yourself under your own breath. It means to speak to yourself, which is why uh, David said, uh, wrote all those psalms, he was speaking to himself. Why is thou cast all my soul? Hope in God, for yet I will still praise Him. He's speaking to himself. So meditate on it, on it day and night so that you may be careful to carry out everything that's written in it, for then you'll prosper and succeed. The Bible says this set of instructions must be a part of your daily conversations. See, friends, our words shape our lives. We, mu we must speak words of faith and hope to ourselves and to one another. So what are you talking about over lunch with your friends. The latest gossip, 
In some magazine, what you see, uh, no, 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 it's all online magazine, right? Uh, the latest trend, what are you talking about? Talk about God's Word, let it be part of your conversations. There are 7,000 promises in the Bible. If you just talk about them every day, you've got a lot to talk about, my friends, a lot to talk about. 7,000 promises in the Bible. When, you, when you're afraid, you can say to yourself, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power of love and, and, and a sound mind. When fear hits you, fear not, for He is with me. And when, when you're weak, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When you are alone, God will never leave me nor forsake me. When you need guidance, God gives me wisdom and He gives, gives me wisdom liberally and without reproach. When you're going through time of lack, my God shall supply all my need. When you're facing temptation, I will not be tempted beyond what I can bear. When you're in a battle, if God is for me, who can be against me? See, friends, we can just talk to ourselves, talk to one another. Amen. And that leads me to my final point. And if you're always in this place of hopelessness, then my final point is question who surrounds you. Because surround ourselves with people of faith, faith and hope help us cultivate a hopeful attitude. Mark chapter 2 verse 5, the layman who uh, received his miracle because his friends lowered him down. The Bible tells us that his four friends were men of faith. When Jesus saw their faith. See, negativity kills us. It limits us. It steals precious energy from us. Makes us feel bad. Keeps us from achieving our dreams. And negative people are resisting, refusing, disagreeable, pessimistic, detrimental, destroying, and limiting. They don't help you. So why are you surrounding yourself with negative people who tell you that can't be done, that you are thinking too much, you know, that you are just dreaming too big, that you're being too hopeful? Why do you surround yourself? They don't make you stronger. Their number one goal is to shut you down. They call you crazy when you try to do something amazing or different or wildly ambitious for the Lord. Why do you surround yourself with naysayers? The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 9, verse 23, all things are possible to those who believe. See, people of faith and hope are possibility thinkers. They find pleasure in doing things that others said can't be done. Surround yourself with people like that. And be a person of faith and, and hope to someone else. Champion their vision, champion their dreams, be a source of wisdom, but don't throw wet blankets on people's dreams. Surround yourself with people of hope. Let's be a community of hope. All things are possible to those who believe. If you step to the threshold of this door, if God has placed a dream in your heart that seems too big, too wild, there will be someone here who will say, I believe in that door. The visionaries wait for it. Amen. Come on, somebody, say yes. So as we conclude, I want to just say two things. All right? Number one, to those of us who are still waiting in hope like Abraham, the Bible says in hope he waited against hope. That's a terrible place to be in. And if that's you, the Bible has an amazing promise for you. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 12, it says, Return to your fortress, Oh, you prisoners of hope, even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. See, some of us are held captive by hope. And in the Bible, we can find many people who are held captive by hope. Moses, 
who waited for 80 years. Joseph, for 30 years, 17 years he tarried. For Abraham, he waited for 12 years for the promise to be fulfilled. David, after being anointed by Samuel, went back to tend to, to the sheep. Samuel didn't tell him that he was going to be running for his life, hiding in caves, pretend to be a madman. He waited for the promise to come to pass. He waited for the hope to bear fruit. In fact, David in Psalm 119 verse 82 says, David cried out to God and said, My eyes fail looking for your promise. And some of you are in that place. Your eyes are failing you. You are trying here, looking there. God, the promise, the hope, I can't find them. You are like in a prison. The Bible says, return to your fortress. What feels like a prison cell to you, God sees as a fortress. Why? Because in that place of just simply trusting God, He will restore double for your trouble. Amen? Why are we going through what we are going through? It's so that God can give us double for all the trouble you have endured. Ask Evelyn about that. The joy that angel brought. Ask some of the people here who have tarried for days and weeks for the promise. Some of us, yes. The Bible says, return to your fortress. Who is your fortress? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and they are safe. Secondly, this Christmas season, let's be messengers of hope. Amen? In Luke chapter 2, verse 10 and verse 11, the angel said to a group of shepherds, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Verse 17 and 18, when they had seen him, when the shepherd had seen the Messiah, they spread the word concerning what had been told them uh, about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. This season, let's become messengers of hope. Number one, knowing that we're so full of hope. Cultivate a hopeful mindset as a church. Let's not grow weary. Let's not be afraid. You can all cultivate. Don't allow the snake to lay heads in your, in your head. Crush them if a serpent egg you know, is in your head. Today, just expose that, crush it. But as a church, in this Christmas season, let's become messengers of hope. Every empty seat next to you, look, look at them. All right, you are the river of life. You know, God has a river inside you flowing out and He wants to fill these seats with joy and peace this Christmas season. He wants this place to be full. He wants our lives to become conduits of that hope. So let's all stand to our feet as we close this morning. The Bible says hope defers makes the heart sick. And perhaps there are some of us here who are prisoners of hope. You have been in that place of longing, of waiting for the promises. See, Advent means it's coming. And some of us who are Star Wars fans, right, you have been waiting 
like for months and some of you for years now. Episode 7 is coming, it's coming. See, the reason why God allows us to wait is so that our joy can be full when we just, finally! If, if there's no waiting, really, if there's no expectation, there's very little meaning. Whatever is precious, is valuable, there's a time attached to it. There's a, there's a season of longing. It's a little bit like a marriage. From the time of engagement to the time when you consummate your love. My friends, that season of waiting builds love inside you. Likewise, for 2,000 years now, Jesus has said to us, I'm coming back for my bride. Wait! And that season of waiting is to mature us, is to help us grow. So all you prisoners of hope, God wants to give you double for all your trouble. So this morning, wherever you are at, as we sing this next song, I want you to return to your fortress. Perhaps you've been wavering. Perhaps you've been wondering, God, is this for real? God, are you still there? So return to your fortress.